0: So she be good. So as I said last week, kind of as I've been thinking about our movement and moving on, really came to my heart the whole thing about the exiles and uh, who moved back from Babylon. Got any life here? Let's try now. There we go. Cool. So, Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone who first come to the waters, and you that have no money come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You know, just this, this whole idea of the exile of the people returning. This poem here in Isaiah 55 comes from the time when the people are preparing to return. It's a prophetic poem written to the exiles who are actually about to return. From Babylon, They've been in exile now for approximately 50 years, some longer, some not quite so long, um, because there were um, several waves of deportation of the people being taken away. And so the exiles arrived in Babylon at different times. So let us just say it was an average of 50 years. So they've been exiled for 50 years from their homeland. They've been living in Babylon, a completely different environment. But now King Cyrus says, okay, you guys can go home and they're about to return to a place where most of them have never been. They're going home to a place that they've never been. Uh, so really, it's an un- unusual turn of phrase. I'm going home to a place I've never been. And that's the experience of most of those people. And uh, in, in many ways, it's a, a, for us as well, there's very much a feeling that this is home, where we're going to. And a few of us, or some of the older ones, God bless you, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, and Maddie, there's quite a few of us, have been there, and we've experienced God's goodness. But a large group of us, the majority of us, have never been there before. And so we're going back to a place that we've never been. And it's really good. You know, the, the, the old ones have memories, but the young ones have only been told about this place they're going to return to. And so here, Isaiah, um, by the Spirit of God, is preparing them, because it's going to be different. And some of them are going back home to Israel. It's very different from anything they've ever known. Because remember, they were born and they grew up under a captive. They were in captivity in a foreign state. And so Isaiah here evokes the idea of it was really a street vendor. Someone standing out on the street saying, Hey, hey, buy my goods. Hey, come on, come over here. Come and get it. Come and get it. Come, I've got wine. I've got muck for sale. If you're, if you're thirsty, come on over. It's available. And so here's a street vendor effectively selling his goods. And, and, you know, the two things that he uses, muck and wine, biblically are are things for a sign of abundance. So he's speaking of abundance here. He's speaking of a good life. He's saying, come on over, come and get these things. But, of course, in Babylon, the Jewish people couldn't afford muck and honey. Remember, they were refugees. They were exiles. They were cheap labor for the Babylonian Empire. They were the permanent underclass. And wine and muck, quite honestly, was beyond their reach. They didn't really would have got it. The good life of Babylon wasn't something they experienced because they were refugees and because they were so underprivileged. So so the idea here is totally stunning that, that there would be some Babylonian guy out there selling muck and honey to them. But it's not a Babylonian guy who's talking. It's Yahweh himself, the God of Israel. And he's saying, hey, listen, I've got muck, I've got wine for you. Come and buy it. Come and buy my book. Come and buy my wine. And, of course, the immediate response is, oh, I can't afford that. But the response is, it doesn't matter because it's free. I've got muck and wine for sale. Well, how much is it? Nothing. You can, all you have to do is say, I want it. I want it because I want to give it to you. You see, and that's the picture that Isaiah starts off with in this poem. He's talking about that the God of Israel is saying, hey, if you're thirsty, it's available to you. There's milk, there's a honey, there's abundance available from me. It doesn't cost anything. It's free. All you need to do is step out and take hold of it. It's really what the prophet is saying, that home with the God of Israel is way different than anything you've known in Babylon, that things are going to change a whole lot for you because you're going home. It's not going to be like it was in Babylon with the kings of Babylon. When you're in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Yahweh, the kingdom of God that manifests, then things are very, very different, very different Indeed. And so, this is a whole portrait that Isaiah is prophesying. What's it going to be like for them? And we'll pick it up in verse 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, say the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, the, the empire of Babylon was there is only one way, and it's our way. And the, the way we do things is the best way. Because we're wise and we're knowledgeable. We rule the world. And it, we, the way we do it, it's the only way it can really be done. I mean, that, that's always what the empire's like, isn't it? Our way, the world's way is the best way. You know, Babylon pretends to know everything. How could you even conceive that There could be some way of doing it differently. We're number one. But God is telling the Jews who have grown up in Babylon... Because, and that, remember again, that's all they've ever known. I mean, they've known their scriptures, but that's, they have known their full heritage. As far as they're concerned, living, they've lived in Babylon. And, but God is saying to them, listen, while you might have lived in Babylon, there's a whole new way of doing things. A whole new way of doing things. And he starts by saying, listen, it's because I, Yahweh, operate on a whole different level to everybody else. I mean, it's not like Babylon's down here and I'm up here. No, no, no. Yahweh says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. They're as high as the heavens are above the earth. I mean, how far (laughs) above the earth are the heavens? I mean, you can go for billions of light years and never run out of it. And so that's what Yahweh's saying. Listen, he says, you're going home. You're coming home and it's going to be so different because, listen, I'm operating on another level. It's a billion light years higher than anything you've conceived in the empire you know in in babylon everything's about about being for the consumer everything's about you know being focused on yourself and and you have to be greedy and you have to work and you have to make more and more and and you have to keep up with the joneses or or whatever the Joneses were called in Babylon. You know, you have to keep going, you know. It's all about, about success, about consuming, about greed, about me, about being protecting my stuff and, and, and all that kind of, and it all goes on. It's, and then there has to be power because if, if I'm going to own stuff, I've got to make sure no one else can get hold of it. And, and there are all these things get, get, become so important. And people and care and compassion and mercy are pushed aside for, ga- ga- for uh, gain. And God says, no, no, no listen, I don't think that way. My thoughts are a billion light years beyond what that's thinking. And he says, you're gonna learn to think in a different way. You see, this is an invitation. This is an invitation to kingdom thinking, into kingdom living. And that's why he starts off by getting their attention by saying, listen, there's wine for mukfasau. How much is it? It's free. What? Man, that blows my mind. Yeah, well, hey, that's the way Yahweh operates. And when you get home, it's gonna be different. It's gonna be different. He goes on and he enlarges it, enlarges it in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, bringing it forth and sprout, giving seed to the sow and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing which I send it. You know, these these people, they, I mean, although they'd heard the scriptures, and although they'd heard the stories of old about this incredible God, they'd been under bondage for so long. It was almost like their thinking was limited. And and they'd heard about this glorious place called uh, Zion, but, I mean, it was fairy tales, really, for them. They couldn't even imagine it. And and so suddenly this prophet comes and he says, listen, God is gonna do something more. God is gonna do something, things that you can't even imagine. God's will, God's purpose is gonna be incredible in your life because God says I'm operating on a whole other level billions of light years ahead of anything else you'll never and and listen you can never climb up and try to figure out God doesn't matter how smart you are no theory no philosophy no theology no knowledge can ever ever bring you to where God is so he says listen i'm going to send my word to you i'm going to send my word to you i'm going to come to you i'm going to send my word He says, because beyond what you can imagine, I've got purposes. My word, my intention, my logos would never be able to be understood unless I give it to you. And just like I send the rain and I send the snow down from heaven, right down to your level, I'm about to send my word to you. I'm gonna send my word that you can encompass and understand what I'm going to do. I mean, and he says, and, and listen, when my word comes to you, it's gonna bring forth fruit. It's gonna bring forth goodness out of the earth. It's gonna bring forth things that you really desire. The things that Babylon promises but never, ever delivers. I'm gonna give those things to you. Because God says, listen, my word will succeed. It will succeed. I will not send my word and then the word come back to me void. In other words, it won't come back. That's, I, it just didn't work. <laughs> I tried, but it didn't work. He says, God says, no, I'm gonna send my word from heaven and it's gonna, you could never reach it, but it's coming to you. You could never climb up here, but it's coming to you. And you could never understand it, but I am gonna give you revelation. I'm gonna send it to you and my word is gonna come down to you and my word is not gonna come back empty-handed. It is gonna succeed in the purposes that I have for you. And he goes on in verse 12, for you shall go out in joy and be led back in peace, and mount, and the mountains and the hills before you shall burst in the song, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up all myrtle. It shall be to the record of a memorial for an everlasting sign that shall be not cut off. See, the word of the Lord is this simply we're going home in peace and joy. You were going home to a promised land a land, we're coming from exile of sorrow and anxiety, but we're coming into a place of fruit and of favour and it's going to bring peace and joy. I mean, the prophecy is imagine it. The mountains and the hills are watching the exiles. And it's a 1,500-kilometer journey, remember I said last week, to go back. And the mountains and the hills are literally so happy that it says that they're going to boogie. They're going to sing about it, <laughs> and they're going to get down. And, and the trees are going to notice, and the trees are going to bow, and the, they're going to give a standing ovation to the people of God. And the prophet says the things that cause pain like thorns and briars, they're going to be replaced with pleasant things like cypress and myrtle. Listen, it's a beautiful picture of returning to the goodness of God. Not that we've been away from the goodness of God, but we're going to a new level of the goodness of God. You're going to come out of sorrow and anxiety and come back into peace and joy. And creation itself will celebrate with what's about to happen. The things that cause pain are going to be changed. The thorns and briars are going to be changed, and they're going to be replaced with things that are pleasant, like cypress and myrtle. (laughs) Sorry, I had an auntie that was called Murder, and she wasn't very pleasant, but that's a whole other... <laughs> just came into my mind. Anyhow, it's a beautiful picture of homecoming. But the incredible thing is, though, with all this promise, and they return and they come back in, in, in 589, uh, 539 BC, they come back. But the amazing thing is they're still dominated by other um, empires. The Persian Empire, the Seleucid Empire, the Roman Empire... They're home, but they're never really home. In a sense, they were really still in exile. So, I mean, you know, I think some of them would have begun to think, well, hey, actually, maybe this word does return empty because we had all these promises and they don't seem to be succeeding. And, and they began to think, maybe it's not a, a sermon from Mosiah or a passage from the Bible but maybe it's something else that we should have been looking for. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And of course you know what's associated with that. In the beginning was the word of God. The word, the logos, the plan, the purpose, the intention. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. And through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of the world. Was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And the true light, which enlightens all the world, was coming into the world. Because the word, the word, the word became flesh. See, the word became one of us. The word came down to our level because God's words, God's thoughts, God's plans are higher than the heavens are above the earth. Isaiah, remember he said that? My thoughts are higher. We could never figure it out. And so the word comes down to us. And that word was not a sermon. It wasn't a text, but a person. John chapter three. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. You know, Jesus is a word. Jesus is a word from heaven. Jesus is a word of the Father. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is a wisdom of God that is higher than the heavens, that are above the earth, that are that anything that we can think or conceive. And the word comes to us. No one has ascended into heaven and knows the mind of God, but God sent his word and he sent his son and the word became flesh and he came down to our level and he came and he brought it to us. He became the very word of God and that, you see, you know, no one else can bring us the word of God. I mean, I mean a, an apostle, a prophet, maybe a preacher on a good day could bring a word from God, but only Jesus Christ can be the word of God. He is the word of God. Jesus is the word from heaven, the word that we could never reach, brought down to us as a human being. That word has come to the earth as salvation because salvation is not a plan. Salvation is a person. Salvation isn't, is, is not like a plan with a whole lot of bullet points. Ah, oh, here's my plan, if I follow these things. No, no, no. God didn't send us an email. are you know? the plan, guys. Here's the three great things, the simple steps. Salvation is not a plan. It's not a plan. It's a person, Jesus Christ, and he's been given to us. And as we return, we go. You know, one of the things I think is the, the greatest revelation. I mean, we've always, you know. Um, but I can remember when I first got saved and, and I can remember it was a bonfire, 5th of November. And I remember there and, and talking to a, a, a street preacher that we were associated with. And he said, what do you want? And I said, I want one thing, I want to know Jesus. And that's been our heart cry all, all the years, you know, wherever we've gone. But in this time of, of, I guess, and I'll use the word, but I understand, you know, exile, if you like, I think the one thing the Father has given us more than anything is, is a fresh revelation of Jesus. Yeah. You know, we've had a fresh revelation of Jesus, a fresh impartation of his goodness and his glory to realize that we don't pursue a plan it's not about reading the Bible, although that's good. It's not about anything else, but learning to encounter Jesus, the person. Because God, when he wanted to relate to us, when he wanted to show us what his His plan, his thoughts were about us, he sent us his son. And you know what? The, from the moment that, Mary, that the, 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 the word of God became flesh in the womb of Mary, the moment the Logos... By the Holy Spirit was united with human flesh. Do you know that then salvation in the, for the world was a foregone conclusion? Why? Because of what Jesus just said there. Uh, what God just said there. My word will not return void. Not everybody might embrace salvation, but the, we have the assurance of salvation because the promise of God is his, his word will not return void. He returned to heaven. And what was his words? It is done. You see, God said, "I'm not going to give up on this world. It's my world. it's good, and I'm going to save it, and I have a plan. And that plan is my son who will be made flesh and will come and dwell among and bring salvation." And from the moment the world became, the word became flesh, salvation was available to every single person in the world. The story got to unfold, it got to play out, and the word went forth from God, and we know that that word will succeed. John 3, 17, Indeed, indeed God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. You know, the only thing God wants to do to this world is save it. Do you know that? It's so sad to me how much um, church and so much Christianity focuses on sin. It really is, because let's focus on Jesus. Because when we focus on Jesus, see, He's truth, He's reality, He's the Word, He's the bedrock of existence. And when we focus on Him, things like sin become really small. It's not yin and yang, guys. Satan and God are not equal. You know, God is beyond, uncreated, God, Master of the universe. Satan's, you know, yeah, and and doesn't have power and we afford him too much, and when we return, you know, we're carrying the glory of Jesus on us. We're carrying the glory of Jesus. See, if if God had wanted to condemn the world, he could have sent a prophet, you know? I mean, Moses, Moses could have come and condemned the world. Habakkuk could have condemned the world. (laughs) I mean, any of us could, yeah, I condemn your world, you know, there you are, done. But that's not what God's heart is, you know? The law came by Moses, it says, but grace and truth, I love this, this verse, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in his fullness, we all have grace upon grace. Wow, wow, wow. That's our destiny. As we walk back to liberty at Owaraka, we do so with the confidence that the word of God is upon us. That, that, you know, that, that we're walking in an endless tide. Imagine the endless tide of, of waves just lapping on the shore. And those waves are the grace of God infinitely being poured out upon every single one of us and poured out upon the world around us. Jesus is the word of the Father. He is the word from heaven, the word that doesn't return empty, the word that succeeds, the word that saves the world. God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. And and, you know, this isn't an excuse for for indifference or apathy because we know it's gonna happen. It's a call for every single one of us as as we go forward into the next part of our journey to sign up, to sign up. Not to sign up to some church program or anything like that. Those things are helpful to get us from point A to point B, but to sign up to being part of what God is doing in this world. And that's making Jesus Christ famous. You see, there there should be no pressure on us to prove anything or to to achieve anything. It should just be simply to lift Jesus up. And not to be embarrassed by him. You know, the invitation is to get on board with Jesus, what Jesus is joyfully accomplishing. You see, the word from heaven will not fail. The word of the Father is going to save the world. It's not a Bible. It's not a sermon. It's not the Torah. It is Jesus. It is Jesus that is going to save us. I mean, remember the Pharisees were studying their scriptures and, and, and getting their scriptures. And, and Jesus says in John 5, he says, listen, you search the scriptures because you think in them as eternal life. He said, but they testify to me. And if you refuse to come to me have to have eternal life. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the one who saves. And we're being called as we go into our next part of our journey to carry, I would say with pride in the correct sense of the way, the banner of Jesus. You know, people are tired of religion. But most of them aren't tired of Jesus. They're tired with all the wrappings that we've wrapped Jesus up in, you know? It's like, you know, kind of a Christmas. You get, <laughs> and i use an analogy. It's like Jesus is wrapped up like a Jesus doll, but we've got paper and we've got plastic and we've got bows and we've got 50 million things you've got to undo to try to find Jesus and pulling out the paper. He's in here somewhere, I've got it, you know? But listen, the world needs one thing. They need Jesus. And we have it. And that's what we need to do. We need to point people to the true and perfect word of God that came from heaven. Get rid of all the religious stuff. Get rid of all the law and all that stuff. And let's just, as we go into our next step, let's just go in to enjoy Jesus. You know, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he goes on and says, "In my house there there are lots of rooms. There's plenty of room, and I'm going to go there. And I'm going to make a room for you, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to take you there also." You know, Jesus is the one who ends the exile. Jesus is the one who brings us home. Jesus is the one who takes us home. Let's, you know, go to the end of the, the book, Revelation. 22 chapters in Revelation. So Revelation 22, verse 16 says this. For it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who says, come. And here it is again. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift so we're right way back. We began in Isaiah 55, come if you're thirsty, and now right at the end of the book, Jesus is saying come. Why? Because the muck and honey is free. Folks, we're being invited. We, As we said, we've been singing, we've been declaring God's goodness. We're being invited into a new level, and a new level. And it's not a whole lot of, you know, well, I mean, it may be. But it's not about pizzazz, it's not about, you know, or bells and whistles and all that. It's simply an invitation into Well, simply. It's an invitation into intimacy with Jesus. And I tell you, it couldn't be any better than that. It couldn't be any better than that. You see, the Spirit and the bride, the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, the church, they're saying, come on. If you're thirsty, come. Come. Because there's wine and there's milk available to you. Because Jesus is making it available to us. Yeah, cool, let's stay in, shall we?